You are now in tune with the Talkin' Reggae podcast. As always, I am Jay of Street Level Uprising. And on this episode, I'm going back to the origins of this podcast, which was Reggae Bridge. Uh, It's a live show I used to do on Facebook for artist profiles and reggae history. Recently, we've lost a few heavyweights of reggae. So I wanted to come on here and talk about a couple artist profiles I never got to, unfortunately. Starting with the Mighty Diamonds. The Mighty Diamonds have been around in 1969, which pretty much made them one of, if not the longest running band in reggae history, especially a a band that had all three of its original members up until a couple of them passed away. March 29th, we lost Donald Shaw, aka Tabby Diamond, to a drive by shooting absolutely tragic it's anytime someone's murdered it's just absolutely the worst thing in the world uh and then just a few days later on april 1st fitzroy simpson aka bunny diamond passed away due to health reasons that leaves lloyd ferguson aka judge diamond as the only remaining member of the mighty diamonds and yes way before the ramones we had a reggae group who all took the same last name as their stage names So going back to 1969, the Mighty Diamonds originally formed under the name The Limelight. They were heavily influenced, like a lot of artists from those days, not only from ska and rock steady and what came before them in Jamaica, but also American soul and R&B, heavily influenced by The Temptations. I think there was a Rolling Stone piece in the 80s that compared them to the OJs, group close to my heart because of their Philly origins, but uh, compared them to the OJs, saying that that Mighty Diamonds were like the Jamaican OJs, so very heavily influenced by American soul along with everything else they were hearing in Jamaica. Earlier in their career, they started recording with various producers such as Stranger Cole, Bunny Lee, Lee Perry, and they had their first hit in 1973 with a tune called Shame and Pride, which was produced by Pat Francis. After that, they hooked up with Joseph Hu Kim and recorded their 1976 debut album, Right Time. Massive hit album. Every song on there is incredible, and probably, I don't know if it's still viewed as their best album or or what, because they made a lot of albums, but man, Right Time was uh, came out at the right time and had the right tracks, that's for sure. Massive album. For the follow-up, they went to New Orleans to record Ice and Fire with Alan Toussaint didn't quite work out well. To me, this is the the classic type of, you know, you get signed to a major label, record company gets involved, and they try to make you something you're not. And in my opinion, they made an attempt at this crossover to try to make it, make Mighty Diamonds bigger for a U.S. audience. Well, sometimes things like that work. What Chris Blackwell did to add some more electric lead guitar and stuff like that to Bob Marley and the Whalers really made them appealing to a rock audience in the U.S. and beyond and didn't really change their sound enough, in my opinion, to do them any harm. It was just, it was the right additions. I think in the case of the Mighty Diamonds, it was just too much. It was too, too far. And I think it became unappealing to a Jamaican reggae market and also to an American R&B market. So it just didn't work out. Those things happen. 
They went back to Jamaica and were turning out more hit singles and albums. Leading up to, in 1981, the Changes album, which included Pass the Cutchie, which actually became a hit twice. <laughs> Once for Mighty Diamonds in 81, and again a year later when Musical Youth, a bunch of kids in the UK, took it, took away the cannabis references, Cutchie being, a, being an herb pipe, took that away, turned it to Pass the Dutchie, and changed all of the cannabis references to food references. Uh, Dutchy being a cooking pot, so it was kind of a, but essentially same tune, same melody, same rhythm, all that. Uh, so the tune was a hit twice, which is kind of cool. Uh, and only a year apart, which is, you know, back in the day, there was a lot more quick covers, quick remakes than we have now, I think. Uh, still pretty cool. And of course, that tune was huge. A lot of people know it today. And their output was incredible. I mean, I think... I counted, I think, 46, um, 46 album releases, which is just staggering. I don't even know how anybody could do that. I, I think I, I'd, have to, I'd have to be here for a couple hundred years to get anywhere near that number. Um, and a mix of lyrical themes. They were maybe not as militant as a lot of other groups who came up during their, their time, but there's certainly plenty of consciousness a lot of spirituality and also some romantic tunes in there also. And they were still together. I mean, they, they were getting ready to record album number 46 uh, and, and, and tour again and keep going and keep going until uh, the, these tragedies that happened just recently. Some key tracks from Mighty Diamonds, uh, Have Mercy, Pass the Cutchie I already mentioned, uh, Shame and Pride, Come Tomorrow, Africa, uh, I Need a Roof, Gates of Zion, Idler's Corner, Demo Worry, Know Your Culture, Illiteracy. Yeah, when you have that many albums, uh, there's going to end up being more key tracks that I have to think of while we do this. But lots of key tracks from Mighty, Mighty Diamonds. Great vocal group. It's somebody who appreciates those three-part harmonies. Um, if you're like that, too, if you dig those vocal groups with the, the massive harmonies, then... Mighty Diamonds is definitely for checking out. And really just that root sound, just that classic root sound, a wonderful group with great albums, great tunes. May Donald Shaw and Fitzroy Simpson rest in peace, rest in power, and may Mighty Diamonds live for Ivor. The next artist I want to talk about on this reggae bridge slash talking reggae podcast is Denroy Morgan who we also lost recently, unfortunately, March 3rd, to cancer. Now, if the name Morgan sounds familiar to you in reggae, but you don't really know Denroy, that's because Denroy Morgan was the father of several high-profile artists, including Morgan Heritage, which features several of Denroy's children, including Gramps Morgan, who we're going to mention a little bit later. So you know the name even if you don't know Denroy. He came to the U.S. in 1965, is around 20 years old, to start his musical career here. In 74, he started a reggae band in New York called the Black Eagles. Very popular band, very good band. In 1981, his solo career took off with I'll Do Anything For You, an album he released. The title track was a hit. It was a smoking uh, dance tune. Hit the R&B charts. I think it went to number nine. It had a lot of funk and soul with what he was doing in reggae, and I'm sure like a lot of a lot of artists in, influenced in the 60s and 70s but especially being here in the US for you know 15 years by that time 
obviously there was a lot more of that in his music, even though it was reggae. A lot of funk and soul in there. Got a major label deal, made another great album in 1984 called Make My Day, Salvation uh, in 1998. His, his output wasn't huge. It's funny, he went from Mighty Diamonds with a huge output to Denroy Morgan, who didn't have a huge output. But a lot of what he did was really in-depth spiritual lyrics, and he guided his career that way. He guided the careers of his children a lot. So not a huge output all the time but an incredible artist who, you know, birthed the next generation. And, and probably, you know, any minute now, we're, we're going to start hearing probably a lot more from his grandkids, too, because we, we know apples don't fall far from trees, and those, the bloodline uh, of artists are strong. We've seen it with the Marleys. Uh, we see it all the time in, in you know, music and acting and all, all kinds of things. So I'm sure we're going to, continue hearing from Morgans for generations to come because of the amazing talent that we're seeing. Key tracks from Denroy Morgan, I'll Do Anything For You, which I already mentioned, Salvation, Link Up, Africa's Calling, Go Ahead With The Fruit, which he did with the Black Eagles, and Hallelujah. Those are some of my favorite tracks from Denroy Morgan. And again, very spiritual, really deep, a lot of unique EPs and tracks that he did that you don't hear from very many reggae artists. So check out Denroy Morgan. Rest in peace. Rest in power. The Morgan's going to live forever too. Do you know you could get Street Level Uprising's special secret dub EP absolutely free? This is just a thank you that we did to our friends, our fans, people who, who dig us. I don't want it to be for sale. I don't want to make any money off of it. So it's not on Spotify and Apple Music. It's not for sale on our website. But you can go to our website and listen to it for free. Either stream it from our website, download it, or there's a special secret YouTube link that you can go to there also. But I'm not taking a dime for this. Go to streetleveluprising.com slash seven. That's the number seven. Streetleveluprising.com slash seven. To hear our super secret special only for our friends, people who we love, go check that out. It's free. Streetleveluprising.com slash seven. Okay, so now we come to the notes from street level portion of the Talkin' Reggae podcast. Notes from street level is just something I do when I've just got stuff that I want to talk about, stuff that's on my mind. What I want to talk about right now, we saw the Grammys just a couple weeks ago, and I know all these things I've been, I've been meaning to get to everything I'm talking today for about a week, but I've been busy, and I'll tell you at the end why I'm, I've been so busy. But the Grammys happened, and I always like to do a little reggae uh, Grammy rundown after the Grammys. Nominees this year, Sean Paul, Spice, Jesse Royal, Atana, Gramps Morgan. Gramps Morgan, there you go, and Soja. Now, personally, I'm not a big fan of the Grammys. I don't watch the Grammys. I don't really care about the Grammys. I'm not into competition. I, I, don't, I don't feel like, and I know art does get competitive sometimes, and I understand the reasons for these things, but it's not my thing. I don't like competition. It's art. I think, uh, you know, who feels it knows it. It's if you like it, you do. If you don't, you don't. And we all just move on. There doesn't need to be competition. 
I also don't like how the Grammys is it's really a popularity contest. It focuses on a lot of times the most popular artists, most of the time the most popular artists, especially uh, American artists. So I'm not too crazy about that. There's there's been some great albums that have been made that would never sniff the Grammys because they don't have the uh, the, the the popular support or the major label thrust behind them to get them there. And when you say something like best album, album of the year, you know, all of the nominees are worthy. All of this year's nominees are worthy. These are all great albums. I don't know how you choose. I don't know how somebody could sit down and vote for one of these over another because they're all brilliant. These are brilliant artists and brilliant albums. And and I don't envy the people that have to choose. So anyway, I don't know. I don't, I don't make a big deal of the Grammys, but this year there was some controversy with Soja winning. Some Jamaican artists and fans um, were upset that a white American band won rather than a Jamaican artist. There was some criticism of, of white Americans being in the culture. Uh, and then you had some who were critical of the Grammys rather than Soja for their choice. Uh, and, and some were even critical of the Jamaican record industry and some DJs and, and even some artists for the type of music and, and, and lyrics that they perform, whether it was critical of, you know, the modern trap dance hall sounds or slack lyrics, essentially saying that the Jamaican record industry needs to improve, that this was just a result of years of, of slippage by the Jamaican record industry. Then we had some comments of support from Jamaican artists, including Atana and Gramps Morgan, who were fellow nominees. Others brought up the point that, you know, as Jamaican artists, if we're going to tour internationally, and reggae is international, we can't expect to do all that and not influence people in those areas to pick up instruments and play reggae themselves. Uh, some artists even went as far as to say, Soja is closer to reggae than most of the other nominees because it's the old reggae versus dancehall debate. And, you know, the reggae versus dancehall thing is, is always been weird within the Grammys because it's like the Grammys are saying, okay, music of Jamaican origin, and they just blanket it reggae, but reggae and dancehall don't always have a lot in common, especially trap dancehall today, which some people feel is a lot closer to hip hop than other things. And, and we're, so how do we break this down now? How, how do we say, okay, this trap dancehall it stays in reggae. It doesn't go to hip hop. So is this an American versus Jamaican thing? Is this a, a nationality issue? I mean, even outside of reggae, the Grammys, like the rest of the music business, has often been hit with allegations of racism. Um, they've always had that history of the nebulous way Grammys are chosen, the pop accessibility I mentioned earlier, major labels and the lobbying dollars behind these things. And I don't know, people sending each other fruit baskets and stuff, which is goes back to why I don't like any of this um, Grammy stuff to begin with. Then you also have the issue where artists complained for years that it seemed like if there was a, a Marley among the nominees, that the Marley was going to win. There's all kinds of history and problems with the Grammys that go back decades, even before there was a, a, a reggae Grammy. The Grammys have always been a little bit shady, <laughs> or some people might say a lot shady. So there's all these things to consider. There's the cultural appropriation angle that a lot of people complained about that, you know, when, when white people 
get involved with reggae, whether it's appropriation or whether it's you know the proper respect is being paid, uh, admiration. And I, I can't say anything about that. I'm first of all, I'm not Jamaican. I have no right to have an opinion on that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a gatekeeper. I'm not a gatekeeper of this. I, I love reggae music. I play reggae music. I do this podcast because I'm trying to bring the community together, bridge the the old school and the new school, so we all know each other. An old school head like me trying to learn about the newer cats and trying to get newer cats to be on point with the the old school stuff. So I can't say anything about that. The one thing I would say to artists who are just starting out, something that can sometimes really offend people is white Americans singing with a Jamaican accent. So those artists are kind of opening themselves up to more questions. And I mean, I get why some would want to do that. It's the sound that we all heard coming up listening to this music. And no disrespect to anyone who does it. For me, I just always wanted to sing in my natural voice. I guess I just never really thought about it. Like, I'm not from Jamaica, so why would I sing with a Jamaican accent is kind of my thing. I'm not from England. I don't sing with an English accent. I don't know if uh, uh, country singers from Vermont can, you know, I guess they sing with a country accent. Uh, Maybe it doesn't work for country if you sing in your national voice and you're from, you know, San Francisco or something. I don't know. But when it comes to singing with a Jamaican accent, now there's a racial component. Now there's a cultural component to it. And so that's always going to be a bigger problem for bands that sing like that. And again, I'm, I'm not judging them. It's, it's up to you as an artist. If you're an artist, it's up to you what you want to do, how you want to perform your art. Completely up to you. It's not for me to say. But it does open up another can of problems. It, it takes it a little bit further. It gives people another reason to be critical of what you're doing as a white American in a culture that you did not create. And yeah, there's, there's all kinds of reasoning to be said on all sides about this, about how where early reggae artists were influenced heavily by American music. So it's not, none of these things exist in a vacuum. And that's, that's the thing about, especially in the internet age where everything really truly is international. These are things we're going to have to discuss and overcome because reggae is international and there's bands all over the world. I've profiled Chinese and South American bands on my program and European bands. So it's an interesting question that's not for me to solve. Uh, I just hope that we can all kind of come together on this, recognize the direction that reggae is going and has, has already gone to become international and figure out ways to fix it so that no one is offended by things that are being done. But let's get back to talking about the Grammys themselves now. Like I said before, all of these artists, all of their albums were worthy of a Grammy this year. Etana with Pomoja, Sean Paul, Live and Livin', Spice, 10, Jesse Royal with Royal, Gramps Morgan, Positive Vibration, and Soja with Beauty in the Silence. And Soja with Beauty in the Silence. A lot of respect for all these artists. There's a couple legends in there already. Gramps Morgan, Sean Paul, been legends for a while now. And these other artists are, are so great that it, they keep putting out albums like these and they'll be legends too one day. Got a lot of respect for Soja. Congratulations on the win. They've been paying their dues in this for 25 years. 
This band loves and respects reggae music growing up as Americans in Virginia. They've brought reggae to a lot of people in the U.S. They have a huge following in the U.S. and beyond. They've been able to use that following to open doors in the U.S. for a lot of Jamaican artists coming over to tour with them, play festivals and whatnot. They show a lot of respect for audiences outside of the U.S., especially South. They've got a huge base in South America. And I've always respected Joseph Hempel's songwriting. It's a, it's a lot like I... Obviously, I'm not comparing the two, but it's a lot like Bob Marley uh, or even a lot of other great songwriters. I feel like this is a songwriter working in the reggae genre, like with... You know, John Lennon, Bob Dylan, whatever, the, the great writers, whoever you want to stick in there, Towns Van Zandt, the great songwriters could work in any genre and be great, be successful, because they're songwriters and the songwriting is a thing. That's the way I feel about Joseph Hempel, is that this is a really good songwriter who could really be doing this in any style of music. That's all I have to say about the Grammys. Congratulations to Soja. And congratulations to the other nominees, again, Sean Paul, Spice, Jesse Royal, Atana, Gramps Morgan, and everyone else who came out with a reggae album in 2021 that was also worthy of inclusion on this list, but can't take everybody, right? Finally, to wrap up this episode, I want to talk about something Street Level Uprising is in the middle of doing. I teased this last time. We are nearly complete on a single called The Saints of Wrath. Now, this single will be out April 28th. And Street Level Uprising will never be nominated for a Grammy, but we can write a lean, mean, militant tune about that jackass Vladimir Putin and the Ukraine resistance to his stupid invasion. And you know what? This track, The Saints of Wrath, out on April 28th, we're doing it 100% of the proceeds will go to Ukrainian humanitarian aid. Not 50%, not 75%, not all profits. We're making this tune at our expense because we want every single penny that we get from it. So I'll give you the information when it's time to come out, where you can buy it, donate, stream it, whatever, and every penny that we get for it will go to Ukrainian humanitarian aid. So stay tuned for that. April 28th, The Saints of Wrath will be out. And that'll do it for this episode of the Talking Reggae podcast. I appreciate you tuning in with me. I'll be back very soon with more artist interviews. I'm happy I was able to get a lot off my chest and show my respects to the Mighty Diamonds. Denroy Morgan, talk about the Grammys and tell you about our four charity single that's coming out on April 28th, The Saints of Rap. Until next time, I am Jay of Street Level Uprising. One love.